it was a normal drive until the insectoids showed up. And then we finished Missing Persons Week with a story of not one, not two, not three, but more than that. It's four or five. I don't remember. I don't remember the total. But we end Missing Persons Week with a whole bunch of missing people. People waving goodbye to their family and then disappearing into thin air. A man going out to get some water from a well is never seen again. If you can disappear in front of a dozen witnesses, you have to ask yourself, is any place safe? Find out today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. I really, really mean that. Hope you guys have some fun plans for this weekend. First off, coming into Dead Rabbit Command is one of our Patreon supporters. Everyone, give it up for Stefan Walnerstrom, legacy Patreon supporter. Give him a big round of applause. Stefan, you're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode for today. If you guys can't support the Patreon, I totally understand. Not everyone has the money. Some, some of you guys just hate Patreon. Some of you guys don't want to give any money to Patreon. And I totally understand. The other way you can support the show is spread the word about the show. Talk about it to your friends. Talk about it with your family. We even have flyers in the show notes. You can print out and post them up around town. That actually always gets us new listeners. Really, really appreciate that when you guys get the word out. Stefan, I'm going to go ahead and toss you the keys to the Jason Jalopy. We are leaving behind Dead Rabbit Command. We are headed all the way out to Nevada. It's June 1994, and there's a young couple, a husband and his wife, driving down a road in the middle of nowhere. It's slightly raining. The windshield wipers. Wiping away the rain. And then maybe maybe a bird in the distance. They see in front of them an accident on the side of the road. They see the unmistakable red and white flashing lights of an ambulance. They see a lot of them. And for whatever reason, they think they can stop and help. Now, I've obviously pulled over in a lot of car accidents. But when there's emergency personnel there, I'm not like, out of my way, out of my way, EMTs. I know how to stitch up this, <laughs> throwing up all over the guy, it's super disgusting. They're like, sir, you threw up in the middle of that incision. I'm like, oh, sorry. I, I know my place. Like, I've obviously pulled over and seen a lot of car accidents, and I've unfortunately seen a couple people die, because I got there before the medics did. That's happened more than once, unfortunately. But once I see them, I'm like, they got this handled. I, they totally got this handled. <laughs> I'm driving. I'm driving a medical supply truck. They're like, we need more gods. And I'm like, dum 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 Just driving past them. They're like, sir, sir. Anyways, these people figure out, let's pull over and we'll help them. I saw a couple episodes of Doogie Hauser. I can totally help stitch this dude up. So as they're getting closer to these lights and they start to pull over, they see no ambulances. They see no emergency vehicles. What they see is described as a soda can, a giant soda can, lying on its side with little landing legs holding it up. It's a creamy color with a red halo hovering above it. The wife begins screaming. And the dude driving the car is... Really trying to take everything in. This is not what he expected to see. He expected to see several human casualties. Now he's looking at what can only be described as a UFO that's landed. 
And his wife is screaming, and he looks over, and approaching the car are two insectoids. My favorite types of aliens. These guys rarely show up in stories. A lot of greys, a lot of Pleiadians. Those are the Nordics. Those are just boring human-looking dudes. Reptilians. But insectoids, bro. So insectoids. They don't get enough love. So these insectoids start walking towards the car. And these insectoids are even more creepy. Because as they're getting towards the car, the dude's looking and he realizes only their heads are insect-like. They're insect heads on totally human bodies. Little mandibles clicking against each other. Raindrops splashing against giant bug eyes. Not only does this story have insectoids, this story has the other thing I love about alien stories. Firearms. Because this dude, living in Nevada, is armed. And as he sees these two insectoids coming towards him, these insect heads, and they're just human bodies wearing these jumpsuits, uh, he pulls his gun out and just starts shooting at them. Now, I'm assuming, I'm assuming that he has to shoot past his wife to hit them, but you know what? She can get her hearing checked later. She can go and she can go to the ear doctor and get some hearing aids put in. Because listen, it's man against alien. And your eardrums, your eardrums might be a casualty in this war. Pop, 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 pop. He opens fire and the aliens start running like they would. And they peel out, dude. The humans are like, and they're driving away. And as they're leaving the area, they look in the rearview mirror and they see nine more insectoids kind of emerge from the darkness, standing around this craft, staring at them as the humans drive off into the darkness. I got this story from thinkaboutitdocs.com, one of my favorite websites, and they got it from a website called UFOs and Aliens Online. And it's interesting because... There is an other, I know some of you guys probably thought, oh, he told this story before. Lost somewhere in the Dead Rabbit archives. I know we've talked a lot about episodes that people say I recorded that I didn't record. This episode I actually recorded. Lost somewhere in the Dead Rabbit radio archives. If you guys remember the episode, I'd love to know what it is. I covered a story similar to this. I think it was on the East Coast where it was a young couple driving down the road and they saw what looked like a car accident. And they were abducted. It was the same type of thing. They saw the emergency lights and they pulled over and they got pulled out of the car. It was super creepy. It was super creepy. And someone wrote me like a year ago and said, I need to know what episode that was. They wanted to introduce it to their friend. I'm sorry, I didn't write down your name. I can't give you the shout out. But um, if you tell me who you are, I'll edit in a name right here. (laughs) But until then, if you still hear that blank, they never got back to me. It's a creepy story. And this one is the flip side of that. Where the same thing, it looks like emergency vehicles and you pull over and this time the dude had a gun and opened fire and the aliens ran away. It's an interesting ploy for aliens to use emergency vehicles because what are we trained to do when we see emergency vehicles? Slow down. Very, very easy to abduct someone at 20 miles an hour as opposed to 60 miles an hour. I'm assuming. I've never done it. I've never been hanging off of the back of a semi. And I'm like, oh no, he's going 65. This plan is foiled. I just imagine it's easier. But creepy too, because also you have this intrinsic thing you want to help. And it's really a way to kidnap you. There's that old urban legend. I remember this is one of those creepypastas that really scared me. 
back in the day. Who knows if this is true, but there's that story where as you're driving down the road, you'll see like a body in the road. Like you'll see like maybe a car crash and someone's like slumped out of the car and another person looks like they flew out of their windshield. And you're in the middle of nowhere. You just see this car crash. And they say, whenever you see that, just drive around the bodies. Leave the area. Because, because, you're like, Jason, are you really telling you see all these bodies in the middle of nowhere? This guy's like, help me. If not me, help my child. They're still in the car. That got dark. Don't, don't, don't help them. Because the idea, this urban legend I've heard is this. You don't help the bodies. The one guy thought it seemed weird. He, he just had to drive around the bodies. And then as he was driving away, he saw a bunch of people get out of the bushes nearby. And the two bodies on the ground, they stood up and they walked away. So the idea was they were going to get attacked by Satan worshippers. Now, I don't know if that's true. It sounds true, right? It sounds super spooky. I guess there's a difference between true and super spooky. It sounds super spooky, though. Because there is this thing about killing good Samaritans. Ted Bundy did it. He, a lot of times he'd say, hey, my arm's in a cast. Can you help me move my bike? And then the women who would help him put the bike on the roof rack on the hood of his car, those are the women he killed. He didn't kill the people who were like, ew, you're gross. Broken arms? That's lame. I only talk to, I only talk to men who have all their bones working. So yeah, interesting story. The aliens might be doing the same ploy as that urban legend. <laughs> the aliens read that urban legend. They're like, ooh, that's super spooky. They're telling that story on Halcyon 5. And they're like, oh, by the light of the Jim Jam crystal. Aliens are peeing in their pants and they go, you know what? Let's try that. Next time we're on Earth and we have in human bodies with insectoid heads, let's see if this urban legend helps us. Little did they expect they were doing it in Nevada, one of the most heavily armed states in the Union. Stefan, let's go ahead and toss you the keys of the carbon copter. We are leaving behind Nevada. We are headed all the way out to Quincy, Illinois. This is the story or series of stories I teased on Monday's episode and ran out of time. And we're tackling it now. This will be a really interesting way to round out the week of Missing Persons Week. It's November 1878. Some guy's like playing the fiddle. It's old timey music. There's like a dude with a banjo and he's like, it's old timey times. It's 1870. It's modern day to us. It's modern day. It's November 1878 to us. But in Quincy, Illinois, it's just a quaint little town. And he puts his banjo down and he goes, well, that's what everyone believed. Before the story of Charles Ashmore. And he winks. He gives you a wink. He puts his hand on your knee. He's like, would you like to know more about Charles Ashmore? He starts massaging your thigh. I thought you would. Bink! He snaps his fingers. And now we're standing outside of this farm. And Charles Ashmore is a 16-year-old boy. And he's like, you know what I need to do for the family? Get water. (laughs) Because we're all super thirsty. The mom's dying of dehydration. You know what? That's my job. I'm going to go down to the spring to get some water. And everyone's like, bye, Charles. And they're like waving to him as he's walking to the spring. They're watching him walk away. Which makes no sense. And that's going to be a common thing with these stories. You're like, huh? There's a lot of little details that you go, what? Like, how bored are you? When's the last time someone's? <laughs> when's the last time someone goes, hey, I'm going to take out the trash? And you're like, I'll watch. 
<laughs> what? And you're like standing outside the door and they're like, huh? What's going on? They're making sure you're not having sex with those garbage bags like that weirdo in Britain. And you're like, what? You're like, dang it, I wanted to have sex with this garbage bag. And you're walking away and you throw it away and then they're watching you walk back. You're like, a job well done. Who watches people do chores? That's so bizarre. But anyways, Charles Ashmore, it's 1878. What else are you going to do? You don't have Netflix, so you just watch people do stuff. He walks out there. And he goes to get the spring water, and they're just standing on the porch, playing with the banjo. But then, like, a couple hours pass, and the guy hasn't returned. He's just going to the spring to get some water. So the dad and the oldest daughter, Martha, go, we better go out there and see what's going on. He might have fallen into the spring. So they're walking out there, and they actually see his footprints in the snow. It's November. It's 1878, so it's snowing. I probably should have added that detail earlier. I just assumed you knew Illinois weather pattern in November. It's snowing, so they see these footprints leading out into the spring, and then all of a sudden, his tracks just stop. What? That's weird. Well, maybe... Maybe he stopped walking. Maybe he jumped. Maybe he spring-heeled Jack. So they continue walking towards the spring, and it's totally iced over. They expected him to go and smash the ice to get the water and then bring it back. So the fact that it's totally frozen over means he never got to the spring. Four days later, he still hasn't shown back up home, but they need water. I don't think they've gone four days without water, but actually I'm positive they didn't go four days without water. They would have all died. But it was four days later when the mom was getting some water when she hears, Hey, mom. And they're like, the mom's like, what, 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 what's Shimone? What, what does that mean? And she can clearly hear her son's voice. She can't hear what he's saying. Shimona, come on. Uh, yeah. Uh, 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 yeah. So it makes no, it makes no sense to anybody, right? But she can clearly tell that it's Charles. So she goes back home and she goes, you won't believe what happened to me at the well. I heard Charles talk about... Uh, the man in the mirror i heard him talking about making the world a better place but it has to start with ourselves and they're like what you've clearly gone insane you need to drink more water you haven't drank any water in four days she's like listen no i have been drinking water and i'm not going insane i can hear our son he's speaking gibberish now the family thinks she is nuts but they also start going out to the well and they start to hear a uh, uh, ow, mm-mm. I don't know why making Mark Jackson noises. The point is, the point is, is that it's making no sense. They're like, what is a smooth criminal? This doesn't make any sense. Is Annie okay? The voice sounds like it's coming from far away. And it's random. It's not like every time they go out to the well, they hear Charles's voice. And over time, it grows more and more faint. Until eventually... By midsummer, the voice is heard no more. Now, I found this story from a list of missing people stories from the sun. Now, I found that story. I was reading a list of missing people from the sun, which is a British tabloid. It doesn't have the most verifiable news, right? But I was I read that story. And I'm like, that's so bizarre. Someone goes missing, but it's right in our wheelhouse, right? Right in the Dead Rabbit Radio lore this is something we'd look at and then i found more information on it on ghostlyworld.com and earthchronicles.com and i was like oh it's really interesting stuff but 
As I continued to look into the story of Charles Ashmore, I found the story of David Lang. Stefan fired that carbon copter were headed to some near county, Tennessee. It's September 23rd, 1880. And David Lang is walking through a field and his wife is watching him. <laughs> Go ahead and rewind. Go ahead and rewind five minutes to hear my rant about why people watch other people. He's walking into his field. His wife is watching him. And their kids, George and Sarah, are playing in the front yard. Just then, three other people ride up on their horses. They're coming to visit David Lang and the family. And all of a sudden, Mrs. Lang lets out a blood-curdling scream. As she's screaming, the men who just rode up are frozen in place. Jaws dropped, eyes wide. They saw it too. David Lang vanished. Completely vanished in front of all of them. Now, imagine how shocking that would be. I mean, that would be earth-shattering. We talk a lot about missing people on the store, and we've covered stuff like that before. We have this story recently where the guy turned around. 45 seconds, he turned back, and the woman had completely disappeared. It was a true story. 100% true story. I'll put it in the show notes. It's terrifying. This happens right in front of them. He just disappears. They think, sinkhole. They go check. There's nothing there. And he's never found again. Years later, a circle appears in the soil where he stood. It was about 15 feet in diameter. Nothing grew there. Insects wouldn't even crawl there. And once George and Sarah entered the circle, and they heard the voice of their father. They did not not say he sounded like Michael Jackson. But they heard the voice of their father when they stood in that circle. Now, this story was traced back to a story written by Stuart Palmer, who interviewed Sarah Lang, one of the children, in 1931. And it was this article was titled, How My Father Disappeared. But at this point, I'm having some real alarm bells going off in my head. Not just why people are watching people walk away, but these stories are completely fantastic. And that doesn't mean they're fake. But sometimes things can seem too good to be true. And as I'm continuing to try to find more meat to these stories, because they seem to be pretty well documented, we have names, we have rough dates, we have time period. I keep looking into the story, and I find the story of Oliver Lurch. Stefani, you know the drill. Let's hop on that carpenter copter. We're headed out to South Bend, Indiana. And once again, we pick up our maestro with a little banjo. He's sitting on your lap now. You're like, damn it. I thought this little imp left. It's not an imp. It's a full-grown adult. And he's sitting on your lap. He's playing the banjo. Take us on out to South Bend, Indiana. Then we're going to meet a man who disappeared. What does disappear? It's the longest song. You're like, dang it. Just get off my lap. What does disappear means? It means... No longer seen. Dun, 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 dun. So, anyways, the song continues. The song goes on and on. I'm dancing. I'm like, ooh, keep playing. Encore, encore. He's sitting on your lap. We're headed out to South Bend, Indiana, and it's Christmas Eve, 1889. And there's a huge party going on at the Lurch House. The banjo guy's playing there. Everyone's having a great time except for you. Oliver Lurch is 20 years old. He's making moves on this girl named Lillian Hirsch. He's like, hey, baby, how about you show me some ankles after this party? It is 1889, after all. The closest I've gotten to a woman's vagina is when I helped a cow give birth. 
That was the best pickup line back then. And that that joke was worth having to add an explicit tag to this episode of the podcast. Anyways, Oliver Lurch is trying to hook up with Lillian Hirsch. So Oliver Lurch is trying to hook up with Lillian Hirsch. She's the daughter of an attorney. And you know what? The night's going on. What do the people need? Say it with me now. Water! <laughs> Needs water because apparently they're partying so hard. So Oliver Lurch, you, this is just the stories are so weird. Oliver Lurch goes, "I will go get water." If I'm hitting on a girl, dude, if I'm hitting on a girl and you're on fire, you're getting your own water. I don't know if this guy thought that he would impress her with a bucket of water because if that's the case, anything would impress her. But if you're if you're you know if you're spitting game, you don't want to go and get water. But anyways, he does. Different time. It's 11.30 at night. He walks outside to go get some water. About five minutes later, they hear him screaming. No! Ah! 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 He's screaming and everyone runs outside. It's 1889, so it's pitch black outside. And they hear, help! Help me! Help! 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 They look into the darkness. They don't see him. And that's when they realize his voice is coming from the night sky. Help! It's got me! It's got me! No! Help me! Help me! Lillian! Would I have gotten to third base at least? His voice becomes more and more faint till it is no longer heard. And people start thinking, what in the the world was that? (laughs) That was the least thing I expected, right? Expected I'd come to this party hang out, listen to this cool banjo player, but then I didn't expect a guy to fly away. Like, that's either the worst party or the best party, right? I guess it determines on whether or not you're the one flying away or if you know that guy. You're like, I didn't know that guy. Great party. Great party. But if you do, if you knew him, if Lillian Hirsch was planning on pulling up her skirt a little bit that night for him, she'd be devastated. They begin searching the area, because this is the idea. They think, that a bird, a bird got him. <laughs> like how, either how big is this bird or how small is this man? But they begin searching the roofs of houses to see if, like he dropped him? But they can't find him. And some people begin to stay there and other search parties are going out and then eventually they hear his voice again in the sky, just a little bit more. Help me, help, they got me still, ah. It's still going on. And then it fades again. And then it was never heard of again. And they had footprints leading from his house to the well. So they know he got as far as the water. But then never seen again. This story was actually reported in one of the really best... If you had to stop listening to this podcast for any reason... If you were ever given a choice between listening to Dead Rabbit Radio or reading 40 in Times, pick 40 in Times, because that is the Bible of paranormal research. Like, I grew up on 40 in Times. It's a great magazine. 40 in Times covered it. Bizarre Victoria covered it. This story was originally published all the way back in 1904. That's as far back as we can trace it. So it's not too far from the 1899 story. And in the 1904 story, it had a sworn statement of 10 people saying, we were there, we saw this happen. And then after it, from 1904, it was republished in 1906. I found that version of the article. And in that version is where they started talking about the eagle theory. A big eagle came down and swooped him up. 
It goes on from there. You can find versions of it from a 1947 Australian newspaper. So the story had been around for a long time, but what's interesting is each article plagiarized the one before it. And they're passing it off. Each journalist was saying that they were telling it for the first time. It turns out they were just copying a story from years or decades earlier. And the 1904 article, the initial story, was also plagiarized from a fictional story written by Ambrose Bierce. Ambrose Bierce, to all you English nerds out there, you immediately went, oh, my favorite author. Or just some guy I read in college. Ambrose Bierce wrote the pilot episode of The Twilight Zone. You're like, Jason, that's... That is unequivocally not true. It kind of is. So Ambrose Bierce wrote An Occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge, which was turned into the pilot episode or the very first episode of Twilight Zone or one of the episodes. Maybe it was a pilot episode. (laughs) The point is, is that An Occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge is something everyone reads in college or maybe high school, depending on where you went. If you haven't read it, it's a really cool story. I'm not going to give it away, but it's really, really cool. And it was one of those stories that I will admit kind of went over my head and my English teacher had to explain it to me. And then I went, whoa, dude. Oh my God, it's totally awesome. It's a really good story. Ambrose Bierce is an old timey author. He wrote lots of stuff and you do study him in English classes in America. But at the time he wrote so much horror. I didn't know this. He wrote so much horror that he was considered along he was considered alongside the ranks of Poe and Lovecraft. He wrote some really, really creepy stuff. He wrote the story. He wrote the story of the missing person disappearing into the night sky. And I'm looking into this and I go, well, that's weird. So it's a known fictional story that's being published, even by 40 and times, is publishing these stories as if these are weird events. Like, isn't this wacky? And then it turns out, as I'm researching this more, he wrote the story about Charles Ashmore, the very first story that we covered. The guy going to the spring to get the water and then just disappearing. Was a short story written by Ambrose Bierce. This isn't an obscure author. But he wrote these creepy stories in old-timey times. And over the course of history, they've been absorbed into the paranormal world. He wrote another story called An Unfinished Race. And which also popped up in a bunch of my research. It it was not listed as a fictional story. He wrote a story. I'd come across this in list of weird disappearances. There was a guy who ran a race. He's running with a bunch of other people. And he tripped and then disappeared in front of all the spectators, in front of all the runners. He tripped and fell into nothingness. It was called an unfinished race. That story also gets reported in the world of the paranormal. And I wasn't able to verify that he wrote the story about Sarah Lang. But it's possible that he did. And that was the one where it was the fake. It was possible that the interview was fake and it was a fictional story under a pseudonym. I wasn't able to verify that. He may have written the other one. So you're like, Jason, so that's interesting because we know you don't cover creepypastas. I don't cover creepypastas. So why would you tell us four stories that were fictional? That you knew were fictional? Because of the way everything ends is why. Like, as themselves, those are interesting stories. It turns out they're not real. There are, they are reported as real, though. Most creepypasta is reported as creepypasta. That term is used to signify this is not true. But these stories are reported in mainstream paranormal publications. 
And while I was researching them, I was thinking, eh, this seems so good to be true. I'm finding these like this. And they're on, there's constantly these lists that'll list multiple of these. But I was able to trace at least three of them back to Ambrose Pierce. The reason why I wanted to talk about them, one, is because people do confuse them. But then, of course, right? Of course, this is the way the story ends. On December 26th, 1913, we're back to the, this is 100% true. We're not, this is not a fictional account. This was reported in actual newspapers. In December 16th, 1913, Ambrose Bierce himself disappeared without a trace. Now, there's different versions of what may have happened to him. Because, again, this was a famous author. And he studied today for his impact on English literature. He's not some obscure guy. So historians, English professors, want to know what happened to this guy. There are some theories... But he's he just vanished. Some people believe that he got shot in Mexico. Other people said, no, he never even went to Mexico. Some people say, no, that's not true. He never was in Mexico. Around that time, he should have been on a tour of a Civil War battlefield. So we don't even know where he was in his final days. We do know, though, that he just disappeared without a trace. The reason why we say December 26, 1913, is that is the date on the last letter he ever wrote. The last letter he ever wrote was dated December 26, 1913. And he states in the letter, quote, As to me, I leave here tomorrow for an unknown destination. So he seemed to have a motif in his stories. He seemed to like to write these short stories about people just vanishing into thin air. And it's interesting that he himself vanished into thin air. Did Ambrose Bierce end up making himself the star of his last story? He loved stories where people disappeared. And he wrote them so well that they're still read over 100 years after their publication. And not only read, but believed. People tell these stories as if they were real. And to an author, is there really any better compliment than that? Your stories are so timeless. People believe they're real no matter how outlandish they may seem. Ambrose Bierce not only left us with some great literature, but a mysterious puzzle as well. One that has not been unlocked for over a hundred years. And I'm sure that's just the way he intended it. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. TikTok is at Dead Rabbit Radio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great weekend, guys. <laughs>